welcome to podcast one of Charity Chat. My name's Sam Davies. I'm here with my colleague and friend, Vicky Bratherton. And today we're going to be talking to you about setting up a charity in the UK and why people do it. So to kick us off, tell you a little bit about the charity sector. Many of you may work in the charity sector in the UK already. But if you don't, here's some interesting facts. Firstly, uh, looking at the NFP Synergy report, which was published not so long ago, there are 760,000 people in the UK currently um, working as employees in the charity sector. There are 164,000 registered charities with the Charity Commission, which covers England and Wales. There are nearly 90% of the charities registered with the Charity Commission have an income below £500,000 per year. And all of those charities registered with the Charity Commission have a total income of £39 billion a year, which is roughly the same as Tesco's annual income. So, Vicky, what do you think about that? From 160,000 charities, you know, they're raising the same amount as one company does in a single yeah. year. It, um, it really puts things in perspective. Interestingly, NFP Synergy's report goes on to talk about how charities operate in terms of how they benefit society. And one of those things that I saw was that currently charities account for raising 60% of the funding that goes into cancer research in the UK, which is approximately £1.3 billion a year. That's absolutely phenomenal. So there is absolutely every, you know, you may think there's absolutely every reason to set up a charity that for a cause that's close to your heart. Um, but it is worth bearing in mind that with 160,000 charities, that's an awful lot of competition. And, you know, the chances are that for whatever cause it is that you want to support, there is a charity already in existence for that cause. OK, so when we talk about the 164,000 charities registered in the UK, what we really mean is the 164,000 charities registered with the Charity Commission in England and Wales. So we're talking about a lot more that then don't register in England and Wales for whatever reason. Um, there's not necessarily a bad reason, we'll come to that. But also all those thousands of charities registered in Scotland and in Northern Ireland as well. So when we talk about the total number of charities in the UK, we're talking about a substantial amount, more than 164,000. Now, when it comes to setting up one of these charities, what do people think about? Well, to try and answer that question, I interviewed Oliver Kemp, who is the co-founder and director of Wiki Development, a brand new charity. Um, it's a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy it. And here it is. I'm here with my guest, Oliver Kemp, who was CEO of Build Africa, which was awarded the prize for the best international charity in the UK in 2012 and best charity to work for in 2011. Oliver increased the number of people supported by the organisation by over 400% in five years by expanding into poorly performing counties and regions. Oliver has served on several boards, including Health Poverty Action. He's the co-founder and director of wikidevelopment.org, Oliver, thank you so much for being here today and to help us understand why people set up a charity and how to do it. No problem at all. Oliver, you're setting up a charity, um, wikidevelopment.org. What led you to set up the charity in the first place? I suppose that, um, the original idea came through a lot of my experience with 
Build Africa and with organizations that I'd worked for previously and their work with local partners and seeing um, the need for a service that allowed people not to reinvent the wheel and where they could get information and knowledge more easily than they currently are able to access it. How long ago did you come up with the idea of setting up your own charity? First, the original idea first occurred to me about, well, um, almost two years ago now. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it was a process, I think. It was, it was a, um, I suppose, seeing the initial challenges that local partners faced a couple of years ago and then that, that experience gradually building over time and just people reinventing the wheel, um, working in their own silos. Um, and so I saw the same uh, as as that experience grew and I saw it happen time and time again. Um, so did my desire to set up this charity. Once you'd come up with the idea of setting up your own charity, did you put together a comprehensive plan of how you were planning to fund it? We started off, um, or still are, mostly reliant on grant funding, so both uh, from foundations and from individuals, major donors. But yes, we have, I suppose we've got more of a sustainability strategy, so including some ways of making the money without having to fundraise for it. But yes, we have a full we have, we have a full fundraising strategy that's kind of broken into three different parts. We've got the grants funding that we have currently, but we're also we'll be looking at having a micro donations um, funding line. So the organisation is going to be quite similar to Wikipedia in the sense that it will be a, an open knowledge repository of development knowledge. Um, and just like Wikipedia, we'll be asking for the little micro donations. So as you'll probably have seen every now and again, Wikipedia puts on its website, please give because without your funding, we can no longer continue to offer this service. Sure. People give between £1 and £5 on majority of occasions to keep uh, Wikipedia free. So we'll be doing the same thing. So if people find the service useful and um, then they can make a micro donation. They'll also be doing some, um, as, as we grow our community and as people start using it, which is another core part of our strategy, we'll be asking for sponsorship. So um, sponsorship for specific talks or specific parts of the website for, for events that we may launch um, on or offline. But when you were thinking about setting up your charity, how important was it for you to think about getting the right people on board? It's absolutely vital. You've, you've got to make sure that you um, bring in the people that complement where you don't have the, the right skills. Nobody's perfect, so ensuring that you bring in people with the right skills and experience to complement the skills and experience that you have has been really important right through this process. And I suppose people with the right kind of attitude as well, so that setting up a, an organisation, whether it be a charity or a company, is always challenging. So um, having people that will support you and will help when, when things don't go according to plan is, is really important. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would say it's been a, a vital part of that journey. And Oliver, what three pieces of advice would you give to anybody thinking about setting up a charity? Yeah, I think it, it, um, asking the question, what is the added value of the organisation that you're setting up? Um, is is it worth you working alongside other charities to start with or uh, making sure that you're, you're doing something that nobody else is doing or doing it in a way that nobody else is doing it? So I'd say that would be my first piece of advice. Mm-hmm. 
I think um, going back to your, your point, actually, I think making sure that you have the right people on board to be able to deliver it in, in the way that you want to. Um, so whether they be trustees or just advisors, actually, we found advisors were really useful. Um, there might not be people who've got the time to spend becoming a trustee, but actually just want to, uh, just able to give some advice. We have some excellent advice from people at Wikipedia and within organize, other organizations around the country, other big NGOs, who have really helped us on that, that journey. And I think, um, I, I suppose my, my final piece of advice is start early. Um, I mean, for, for example, it took us a hell of a lot longer to set up the bank account than we expected it to. Right. Uh, Nat Westman lose our forms twice. And that we weren't able to get the donations in, in um, as soon as we would have liked. So it, there was a 10-week delay whilst we were setting up a bank account. Okay, my final question, Oliver. In terms of the changes that are happening in the charity sector at the moment, how do you think those changes are going to influence how charities operate moving forward? Not only are we going to see changes in legislation and we've got to act more responsibly than some charities have been doing, some agencies have been doing, we're also going to see changes in the rest of the world. So mm. middle classes are rising in the developing world. They're producing some excellent organisations locally, uh, new types of donors who are going to ask for greater scrutiny over where your money is going. And I think beneficiaries are going to be holding us to account far more than they have been doing as well because they're going to have access to tools and technology that um, hasn't been available in the past. Sure. So we are going to have to get better at doing our jobs, otherwise we risk becoming irrelevant. And at a time, I suppose, where there's, for whether it's international or, or domestic, um, potentially more need for the work that we do? Yeah, I, th- I think especially for the last few years, then... Um, We've obviously had cuts in all sorts of places, and that's meant that there's been increased amounts of pressure put on the third sector to fill in the, the, those cuts. And actually, there's been in many areas of the sector, there's been less government support than there has been in the past. So there's, there's always going to be a need for great NGOs out there who are doing good work. Well, Oliver, thank you ever so much for being part of our first podcast, and I hope that you'll be involved uh, later down the line as well as we talk more about other topics relating to the charity sector. Very good interview there with Oliver Kemp, co-founder and director of wikidevelopment.org. Oliver spoke about how long it took from the conception of the idea of the charity through to now, where the charity is almost ready to launch. Um, Two years, a long time, and uh, certainly uh, surprising. There's a lot to consider in those two years. You know, how to get support is one of those things. How to build a community of supporters, whether you're looking to get grant funding or um, funds from major donors, or building a community, a grassroots support community, which a lot of charities benefit from. So whether that grassroots support community would be things like micro-donations, which Oliver mentioned, direct debits is another thing. There are a whole range of things that... uh, that you can employ from a, a large group of supporters like that. In order to build a community of supporters in that way, you need to make sure that the idea that you have for a charity actually has a wide enough appeal to, to get that, to have enough public benefit, as it says in the Charity Commission, to make it viable, to actually make it a charity that is going to succeed and is going to raise the funds that you want it to raise. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that Oliver 
focus is now on sort of grants um, and sort of foundation fundraising, which I think is a lot where a lot of um, charities do focus. They will get a lot of their income from and major donors as well. Well, we're assuming that all charities actually need some kind of funding. Like I say, it could be a campaigning one, which actually all you need is a bit of fundraising or you're run by volunteers. Um, but at that same time, do you necessarily need to go down that road of registering to be a charity if you're not actually um, actively fundraising? So one of the things that Oliver says, and it's something that resonated with me, was about not reinventing the wheel. And I think, you know, from the research that we've done around this podcast, that seems to be the common theme. Is like, what are you... Firstly, what is it you want to do? Are there other people out there doing it that you can help and support? Or are there people out there that are doing something similar that you could you know, help and support to kind of cover what your aims, aims are without setting up your own charity? So that, that sense of not reinventing the wheel is really, really key, I think. And I thought it was a brilliant, um, brilliant charity. And I'd, I'd, you know, we'll put the link on, the, uh, on our website and on our Facebook page, and we'll, we'll give you the links to that shortly. But the, um, the idea of a kind of a Wikipedia for or as Oliver said I think an open repository of development knowledge and I think that's fantastic because you know for for this new charity to exist where it's providing guidance and advice and information to you know charities working in development is is fantastic. Absolutely and I think that's what we're going to see in the charity sector going forward is sort of less of the the capital appeals and more digital digital fundraising but digital charities as well so whether it's helping people to you know start their a new online business you know whether it's going to be you know charity apps or apps that are going to help people in no matter what situation they're in to achieve what they want to achieve in life you know whatever's holding them back and I think that you know digital and technology is going to become a big part of that going forward. Oliver talked about um, how vital it was to bring in people that complement your skills. As you say, a, you know, a good bank of people with the right knowledge, the right expertise to really make it success. Otherwise, you know, it, it just won't work. Yeah, we've heard from Oliver. You know, what what are charities there for? You know, what what do we what what are the kind of the what's the purpose of the mission of charities? Well, according to uh, gov.uk which set out you know tips to setting up a charity in very plain English um, in terms of charitable purposes for the public benefit your charity must have charitable purposes that help the public um, there's a long list of charitable purposes um, which include things like relieving poverty education religion health saving lives citizenship or community development the arts amateur sport human rights, religious or racial harmony, the protection of the environment, animal welfare, the efficiency of the armed forces, police, fire or ambulance services. So that is a huge range of things that charities can and should exist for. It's useful to think about which, where your charity, your charitable purposes will sit within those different causes. The next, the next step is naming your charity. So it can't be, your charity name cannot be similar to the name of an existing charity and use words that you don't have permission to use, for example, if they have a trademark against their names. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of things to consider. Okay, guys, so we've, um, we've talked about the uh, types of charitable purposes. Vicky's outlined those. And also uh, how to name your charity. There's a lot of guidance on this, on the, um, and we'll put this on our website and on our Facebook page, but www.gov.uk, where you can find all of this information out. 
the next step, once you've named your charity and thought about the name for the charity, there are lots of different structures to charities, and all of this can be found on uh, www.gov.uk forward slash guidance, and then choose the charity type section there. Um, but just to give you a quick up rundown of what these types of charities are, there are four main types of charity structure. Charitable Incorporated Organisations, or CIOs, Charitable Companies, uh, Limited by Guarantee, Unincorporated Associations, and Trusts. And to find out more about the specifics of those types of organisations, do check out that website. We'll put that on our, uh, on our own website and also on our um, Facebook um, page. Yeah, there's certain steps you need to take in order to set up a charity, and we'll outline those for you now. So... One of the first things you need to do is have some form of governing document. No matter what structure you go with, you need some form of governing document. Um, Vicky, what should we put into these? Well, I'm afraid, Sam, I'm going to refer to gov.uk again just because it is um, they give you the most uh, comprehensive rundown of it. Um, so your governing document or rule book for your charity... Um, it explains how your charity is run so it's an explanation to any other interested parties that come on board with your charity whether it's trustees, um, members of staff or, or whoever it lets them know your charity's purpose who runs it and how they run it how trustees will be appointed if there are trustees involved um, and in, with all charities I think that is the case the rule about trustees expenses, rules about payment to trustees and how to close the charity so that's a, an interesting point. A lot of people, when they're starting up a charity, they don't know, they're not really thinking about how do you close it as well. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I suppose, I suppose the end game of any charity is to be out of a job. Yeah, absolutely. Every charity should aim to be redundant within a, you know, a certain time frame. I think that's something that some people do forget about charities. They don't just exist for the sake of existing. They have a purpose. They have a meaning. Um, and that meaning is to reach that end goal where you know, the reason that they set up doesn't exist anymore. So once you've got your governing document, you need to start to build your profile, I think. And so you need to have that governing document online. You need to have information about what you're, you're setting out to achieve. And all of that should be part of this governing document. And as part of this governing document as well, we talk about you know, strategy. How are you going to continue? What's your scope? What's your mission? And what's your, well, three to ten year plan? So once you've got that governing document in place, um, next step is to actually register your charity. So what do you need to do to actually register a charity? What are the criteria that you need? Well, if you want to register it with the Charity Commission in England and Wales, and as we talked about already, you've got about 164,000 charities that felt that that was a good idea. Um, and, uh, and it is because it helps to build that public confidence in, in your charity. What you do is you need to have at least £5,000 being raised every year. You can then register with the Charity Commission. And as part of that, what you'll be able to do then is on your materials, on your website, you'll be able to put down your charity number. You'll be able to say that you're registered with the Charity Commission. And those two things are really quite important, I think, at generating interest in what you're doing from the public and also to show that you are being regulated by the Charity Commission. Yeah, it helps people to know that you are you are official, you are a real charity and it gives people um, confidence in what you're doing as well. Um, it's worth noting as well that um, we've been talking about the Charity Commission in England and Wales, there are different rules for Scotland and Northern Ireland so for the Scotland it's the OSCR um, and in Northern Ireland it's the Charity Commission's Northern Ireland um, so if you are in, in 
Scotland or Northern Ireland, you will need to look at their regulations before you uh, before you apply. And if you're listening from outside of the UK, then welcome. Um, but uh, I'm afraid that yes, you know, a lot of this information will be helpful because even in the states, you'll need similar uh, governing document. And these are these are fundamentals, really. I think even you know, no matter where you are, other things you'll need to do when you register your charity, you'll need to set up a bank account, which kind of makes sense because you'll want to be raising money and you'll be wanting to raise initially that £5,000 that you can register with the Charity Commission. Um, that's very easy to do. It depends on which bank you go to, but all banks should be able to let you set up a charity account. You need to set yourself up to accept donations if that's going to be a part, large part of what your charity will be doing. And, and certainly for, for many charities, that's the case, that you'll want to be able to firstly provide people with the opportunity to support you financially and also that you will want to be raising money to continue your work and uh, to continue your mission now in order to do that once you're setting yourself up to take donations then um, again the charity commission can be helpful for that and being part uh, being registered charity is very key but also you'll need to look to currently the regulator that you'll you'll need to be uh, liaising with is the institute of fundraising and they've got a very good website which includes a fundraising code of practice um, or the code and you'll need to really get well versed with that because that is key and there's a lot of legal implications to a lot of that uh, best practice. You also need to make sure that you are um, registered with HMRC so that you can claim any tax benefits for being a charity for example you can get um, tax benefits and on your building and rent and yeah, rent things absolutely. like that um, but more importantly um, for gift aid as well so that the donations that you receive for those donors who are eligible um, to for gift aid you can claim back 25 percent of every um, of every donation that you receive that's amazing isn't it so for every pound that I give you the charity you'll get one pound 25 exactly okay so we put a lot of questions out to our linkedin community when we were researching this and uh, there was some really interesting feedback from them um vicky what did they say well sam (laughs) (laughs) judith cram thanks very much for this um she said once charitable state has been achieved uh, many small charities are constantly trying to manage the precarious balance between settling for what resources they resources they can get both in volunteers and funding and research and reaching for something better also often funders influence how the strategy of the charity develops and it is difficult to remain true to your original vision if the funding requires you to tweak it that's a really good point because the more people that you bring on board obviously the more your initial idea that you had can be diluted or changed now that may not necessarily be a bad thing um, but it is worth bearing in mind that if you do start going out to funders and asking them to to support your charity financially they will feel as if they have some sort of ownership over that or you know that they can therefore have some say which of course they can but you do need to be careful that you make sure that what they are suggesting is is true to what to your vision um, and to the vision of the charity it's that very difficult line isn't it between i suppose making getting people on board and getting them enthused about what you're trying to do but then standing firm when people are saying okay but Maybe we should do it this way instead. You know, I suppose it's it's got to be kind of a fluid, fluid conversation. Absolutely, and and you know, there is there's every reason that you should be taking advice from people. You know, say if if you've brought you've brought them on for a reason, and that is to help to support your charity. Um, so you do need to listen to them, but again, staying true to to the ethos of the charity. I really like this comment from Dillis Winscorn, uh, who was also in our in our LinkedIn community. She was saying that I'd, I'd suggest starting with a feasibility study 
uh, based on the charity's purpose and how it will carry out its work um, and would also strongly recommend the business plan. I suppose that's the governing document that we were speaking about before, really. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely. And it's, um, as you said, you know, testing out, the doing a feasibility study, you know, going out and seeing is this charity viable. I think that's a really valid point. And I think one thing that we've touched on, and, and Dillis also touched on in that, kind of later in that comment, was that the need for trustees with a mixed bag of skills, you know. And, and I think, again, Oliver, in the interview that we had earlier in the show, um, he talked about having... Uh, a, a need for people, whether it's trustees or colleagues or volunteers, with different set of skills to you. Because what's the point of having everybody with the same skill set? So we'll, we'll go into that in more detail in the next podcast in October. There are absolutely loads of different um, resources that you can use to find out how to start a charity. Um, they all ask the same question that we've asked, should you set up a new charity, um, or are there other ways you can do it? So um, smallcharities.org.uk, um, starting a new charity, FAQs, that, that was really helpful in our research. And as I said, we, there was a, The Guardian have actually published a couple of really interesting articles and helpful things about setting up a charity. Right, guys, thank you ever so much for listening. Um, everything, all the sources that we've used for this podcast can be found on our website, charitychat.org.uk, and on our Facebook page, Charity Chat Podcast. Next month, we're going to be talking about trustees, how to find them, who they are, and why you need them for your charity. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Red Dog Music, for sponsoring our podcast kit, Forest of Fools, who have played music throughout the podcast and will be playing us out shortly. And of course, RR Yard Photography, who have put together some lovely images for us for our website, free of charge. So please do let us know if you've got any feedback on today's show. We've got um, a small group of people here, all volunteers, including myself, and uh, we're trying to put together a podcast every month. We need your support, so please do comment on our Facebook page, Charity Chat Podcast, or go to our website where you can contact us. That's charitychat.org.uk. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Please do get that feedback into us and speak to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.